Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas bank here. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, Lyft's new challenge and an NFL team jumps headfirst into online gambling. But first, sitting in the middle of the trade war. So the stock markets are having a downright awful August so far, and the arrows are deeply red again in early trading this morning. At issue isn't the economy or the labor market, it's the trade war, the escalating trade war between the US and China, which is not proving to be, as President Trump once claimed, good and easy to win. The latest developments, they include Trump imposing new tariffs on Chinese goods, reportedly over the objections of most of his economic team, and then the U.S. Treasury declaring China to be a currency manipulator, even though China's recent activity doesn't meet the generally agreed upon definition of currency manipulation. China, for its part, isn't backing down. And all of the Larry Kudlow happy talk in the world can't disguise a growing consensus that this impasse looks increasingly likely to go until the next U.S. presidential election and could potentially expand into an even less predictable currency war. In the middle of all this is Huawei, a Chinese tech giant that mostly sells components for telecom systems and consumer electronics. It has been specifically targeted over the past year by the U.S. for allegations that it's essentially an arm of the Chinese government and as such presents national security concerns when its parts are integrated into our telecom infrastructure. But U.S. interest in Huawei seems to be as much about using it as a trade chip as it is about national security, thus putting the Chinese company in an almost impossible pickle. The bottom line, Huawei is the embodiment of this mess. It is controversial, complicated, and has an uncertain future. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on Huawei with Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Freed. But first, this... Silicon Valley Bank strives to provide banking services at your pace. Quick, nimble, and always looking ahead. And when you run into a speed bump, they'll have the insights and expert advice to help guide you through it. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. We're joined now by Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Freed. Huawei came out with its latest earnings. What did we learn about the impact of this U.S.-China trade war? Well, it's definitely having an impact. Uh, they tried to be clever, and instead of reporting second quarter results, they reported first half results. But since they'd already reported first quarter results, anyone who knows subtraction can figure out that the uh, the growth was all in the first quarter before the, the impact of the uh, sanctions and the limits. Yeah, so, I mean, they're slowed in a lot of areas. You know, they do a bunch of different things, and most people know them. You hear a lot about their phones and stuff. Most of their money comes from the networking side of the business, but it was all impacted, basically. Is this more about parts that it buys from U.S. suppliers, in other words, not being able to get components to put into its products, or is it more about the parts it provides to U.S. companies, or really a combination of both? It's mostly the first part is the most visible and the most immediate, the parts that it needs, to, particularly its device business that makes phones and tablets, and then the one that it's probably least known for, which is corporate network, business networks, actually requires Intel servers. The part that's the least immediately impacted is its networks, building cellular networks. It hasn't really been able to play in the U.S. for years. The big impact there is if the U.S. can convince more allies not to go with Huawei. So it wasn't really a big player in the U.S. It did really help the small wireless carriers in the U.S., and they're impacted. They were the only people in the U.S. But globally, they do a lot of the developing world and then a reasonable amount of business in Europe as well. The spokesperson for Huawei told you that this is the quote, quote, we need to figure out how we can patch some of the holes in the supply chain. From your perspective, 
can they do that and can they do that fast enough? I think in parts of the business, yes, but in parts, it's not really realistic. In the in the phone business outside of China, they're not going to be able to succeed without Google's flavor of Android. So if they can't get Android, they're going to have a problem. I think there's a lot of pieces of their supply chain that for the moment are irreparable. I will say it will take them a couple of years to work around a lot of this, but the U.S. will be the one that's in worse shape when that does happen. So they can inflict a lot of pain. Because if they're able to go around it, suddenly you have all these companies that no longer need the $11 billion a year in U.S. goods and services they buy. And so the U.S. may be taking a very short-sighted approach. You're telling China, instead of relying on the U.S., we want you to be able to do everything yourself. That's probably not the long-term message. I think this is pretty short-sighted, the component ban. Did we see, for the U.S. companies that we've seen Q2 earnings for so far, did we see any reflection of that? In other words, that lower revenue on the U.S. side because they aren't able to sell to Huawei? Definitely. So uh, there are a bunch of companies that are impacted. You know, your Qualcomm's and your Intel's had some impact. Obviously, they're big companies with a lot of customers. To a company like Neo Photonics, which gets half its revenue from Huawei, so obviously much more impacted. So Intel and Qualcomm definitely, to some degree, and some of these smaller companies to a bigger extent. I've been struggling with this. How sincere do you feel the at least stated U.S. government's national security concerns are over Huawei? And I, I guess why I ask is, you know, we say as a government, you know, they're going to be sanctions because of national security concerns. But then on the other hand, say, but if we can get a trade deal, we'll take them off. It should seem if there are national security concerns, they would still be there with or without a trade deal. So how do you find the balance here? Yeah, I think it's really unfortunate. I think it's actually you're hearing this from all sides saying that if there's security concerns, let's talk about those and not have this be a trade issue. I think it is rather unfortunate that the two are being lumped together. You know, there are security concerns. Definitely, there's a lot of bluster on both sides. You know, the security concerns predate the Trump administration. So under Obama and even before, there were limits on who Huawei could sell to in the U.S. So they were not permitted to sell to any of the tier one cellular carriers. They only sold to the small rural carriers. So the security concerns are real, but it's become a piece of the trade negotiations, which I do think is unfortunate. Ina Freed, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Sam. My final two, right after this. Ping pong tables, kombucha on tap, and open floor office plans are nice, but your startup will need more to succeed. With Silicon Valley Bank, you'll get a banking and financial partner with more than 35 years of experience helping founders move their bold ideas forward faster. Silicon Valley Bank, ideas, bank here. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Lyft, the ride hail company that will disclose its second quarter earnings today after the closing bell. The big thing I'll be watching for is the level of ride discounting, which both Lyft and Uber suggested would wane after their IPOs. But it's also gonna be interesting to see if we can get a better sense of market share. And I don't just mean the basic competitive landscape, which matters for all companies, but rather if there's any indication that Lyft is losing some of its luster among those who originally downloaded it as a revolt against what they perceived to be Uber's rotten culture. You know, all those folks who littered social media with those delete Uber hashtags. So the Washington Post recently reported that Lyft is now facing its own backlash 
particularly from women who say the company hasn't taken their sexual harassment claims seriously enough and that its app safety features are complicated and inadequate. If those issues manifest in earnings, we could see some investors delete Lyft. And finally this morning, the NFL's club in Washington will become the first NFL team to have a gambling-focused telecast during one of its upcoming preseason games. The basic idea is that this will be an alternative to the main broadcast in which viewers will be given the opportunity to predict in-game outcomes in exchange for cash prizes. It feels like a pretty seismic shift for a pro sports league where most fans know the spreads, but in which broadcasters never dare mention them, even in blowouts when the gamblers are really the only ones left watching. So last year I interviewed the commissioner of a different sports league, the NBA's Adam Silver, and asked him about having broadcasters of the NBA discuss betting odds, and his reply was, we don't stop them now, and I expect at some point they'll begin discussing it. For the NFL, that time seems to be now. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Lighthouse Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.